So, good morning, everyone. Um, wanted to um, say a few words about right action, which is in the, the Noble Eightfold Path. It seems we've been seeing a lot of examples of wrong action lately in the in the news. So um, I thought it might be timely to um, talk about right action and the Noble Eightfold Path and what it means, how we practice with it, how we manifest it, uh, and the implications of it. So right action is it's part of the ethics portion of the Noble Eightfold Path, uh, along with right speech and right livelihood. And it's called Samakamata. And we can also view it as right conduct. So the way we bring ourselves into the world the way that we interact with ourselves and with others and with all beings. And really it's how we go about physically interacting with the phenomenal world, with the world that is around us. And what this really means is um, the embodiment of right action is engaging uh, correctly and behaving in a way that's not harmful to self and others. So really in a way that's beneficial to all beings, all beings throughout space and time. And behaving in a way that's beneficial to all beings means three things. It means not killing, not stealing, and not engaging in sexual misconduct. And if we notice these, these three things I just talked about are included in the original five precepts. The other two being not lying and no intoxicants. So not killing is a really big category. Uh, it's really big and, it's, and it can be really narrow at the same time. Uh, in the broadest sense, it means not threatening the welfare of others, whether physically or verbally. So we can look at that as um, watching out for body, speech, and mind. Because when we threaten someone, we've, we've already harmed them. 
we've already done damage. We've harmed them and we've harmed our relationship with them. So it's not exactly right killing, but in the Bodhicharya Vitara, in the, the way of the Bodhisattva, in Shantideva's book, he talks about uh, anger and says that um, we can really live wholesomely and correctly and in a way that's beneficial to others. But all it takes is one moment of anger to undo all of that. So all it takes is is one moment of unwholesome conduct, wrong conduct, harmful conduct, to undo all the good that we've done. This is why our our speech is so important. in our relationship with with people, particularly with people for people with whom we've had difficult relationships with in the past, requires extra attention. Because once we threaten someone, we've already dehumanized them. We've made them other. And one teacher I know at San Francisco Zen Center, whenever she gives the precepts, and I only ever saw her do it at weddings, um, but whenever she gave the precepts, she would, um, normally we would say, uh, I vow not to kill, as an example. But how she would phrase it was, knowing how deeply we are connected, I vow not to kill. Or knowing how deeply we are connected, I vow not to misuse sexuality. Knowing how deeply we are connected, I vow not to abuse the three treasures. So the moment that we threaten someone, dehumanize them, otherize them, We can do anything. We can do anything. When I was in infantry training school in the Marine Corps, there was a a particularly insidious mine um, that we were trained to use called the Claymore Mine, which is um, an anti-personnel mine that has explosives on one side and ball bearings on the other. And it's positioned... Um, a few inches off the ground and it's meant to kill and maim and harm and when they were showing us how to use the claymore they set off one and they had plastic outlines of people and they were riddled with holes after the explosion and what I very clearly remember them saying is holding up one, actually, 
the, the instructor was holding up two of these outlines, these plastic outlines. And in one hand he said, this is um, Gaddafi. And in the other, he said, this is the Ayatollah. And they were both just full of holes. And it's another reason in the military they train you to shoot, shoot at the black outlines for the targets whenever you're at target practice. So you begin the process of dehumanizing before you've even pulled the trigger. So in your mind's eye, whenever it's time, you're just going to see an outline. And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Ironically enough, because one of the most traumatizing things for young people in combat, for people in combat, is knowing that they've killed someone. Because it's in that moment that they, that they have seen that they've killed part of themselves. So by not killing others, we're not killing ourselves. And by not killing ourselves, we're not killing others. We're caring for all beings. And unlike the um, instructors who are teaching us how to use this anti-personnel mind, not killing also means not encouraging others to take life or not encouraging others to harm. This is... Uh, we have to be very, very careful. Very, very careful about this. Particularly how... So what this means is how we talk about others. Um, one of my... Uh, my great... Some of my great heroes were those at Milai who... Uh, either refused to take part in the killing or even the helicopter pilot who stopped the killing, threatened to fire on, on his own people to stop the killing of innocent people. Um, so not going along with, with the program. So in abstaining from theft or not stealing, that's not that separate from not killing because we have to otherize someone before we can, before we can steal from them. And then the ways that, that, that we uh, steal are, we can be um, secretly, like a pickpocket or embezzling, by force or threat of force, deception, false alarm, and coercion. Some birds steal by false alarm. They will, uh, if, they, if they see their buddies are having some, uh, have found some food on the ground, there's not going to be enough for them. They'll fly up to a tree and give an alarm call. And then the birds who are enjoying the food will fly off. And then the bird who sounded the alarm will swoop in and uh, steal the food. So we are not the only ones that use subterfuge in that way. And then the, the, the final right conduct is not engaging in sexual misconduct. 
And the short definition of this is someone who can't give their consent for a variety of reasons. Whether they're already, uh, like someone who's in a relationship already can't consent because they're already in a relationship. A minor, someone who's in the care of another, uh, such as someone who's ill or an institution under institutional care. Really importantly, is someone who's incapacitated by drugs or alcohol. Someone who's in jail or in prison. And most subtly, someone who's in a position of disparate power. For example, a, a teacher, student, uh, uh, like a, a teacher, a doctor, therapist, a lawyer. These are ways that we um, have to take a lot of care for the well-being of someone. And most importantly, all of this, while a lot of it has been presented in the negative, all of it is actually a really skillful and helpful way, right? Conduct is of caring and nurturing all beings in the most wholesome sense. To to refrain from unwholesome conduct and to engage and wholesome conduct and right conduct can actually be an action of purification. P- can begin to loosen the karmic knots, especially if we've not behaved well in the past. By refraining from actions that may have done harm in the past. And and right action brings us in tune, in resonance with our vow to save all beings, to be present with and for the benefit of all throughout space and time. There's no place that it doesn't reach when we are engaged in right action. So I just wanted to take a few minutes and see.